0: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1259 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's podcast is brought to you by Arcade 1UP. Bring home slam dunk and introducing the NBA Jam Shack Edition from Arcade 1UP. Pre-order now to play with legends. Arcade 1UP is the place for authentic gaming experiences featuring licensed retro games from the golden age of arcades. Today's show is my friend Glenn Willis joining me once again for the Player Capsule Series continuing. Uh, only two more, including this one. So only one more after this. But today's episode is myself and Glenn talking about Kevin Herter in depth. And uh, in, re- in recent days, we talked about John Collins, Adil, Adil Gallinari, Clay Capella, Neke Kongwu, up and down the roster, DeAndre Hunter, Michael McDonovich, et cetera, et cetera. The entire roster other than Herter, which is today, and Trey Young, who will be later on in the process. And, of course, Trey is uh, sort of the headliner in some ways, but also a guy that we already know a lot about. So keep that in mind as well. But a fun conversation ahead with Glenn and I. Uh, first, though, couple of newsy things that happened on Monday that I want to hit on at the top of the podcast. One is sort of the confirmation of sorts. I sort of referenced in passing last week a report um, from a European side about Bogdan Macdonavich having a knee procedure. I can confirm that he did. I was told that today. Uh, in fact, he had a procedure of something, uh, some, some kind done to his knee. No specifics given to me at this point in time. Um, the Hawks have not said anything about this publicly, privately, et cetera. So we'll see what they uh, announce or reveal in the coming days. And uh, the timeline is a little bit fuzzy. One of the reports had a uh, multi-month recovery for Bogey, and it sort of was framed through the prism of Eurobasket, which is not until September. Um, but, of course, he is from over there playing for Serbia, etc. cetera. And, uh, obviously, from the Hawks' standpoint, they have some time here. They don't play a game for, you know, four months or so. But still, uh, something to keep an eye on for a guy who's signed for two more seasons. And uh, I will definitely have more on this when we get some confirmation from the Hawks' side on timeline specifics, what he actually had done Etc. Uh, the other piece of news came from Woj on Monday. Uh, he reported that Landry Fields, the current assistant GM, will be elevated to a general manager role beginning on July 1st. Practically speaking, this is not a huge change for anyone outside of Landry Fields. Um, Travis Schlank is the president of basketball operations, so he is still in charge. There's some, I guess, I guess a couple people were kind of confused by this because usually the GM is kind of the head guy, but with the Hawks, that's not the case. Travis is in charge, but he has a higher title of the president of basketball operations. Landry's the number two guy, and I'm I'm sure it's a pay bump for Landry and a title bump for him, so congratulations to Landry Fields on all of that. But as a point of reference, if you're a longtime Hawks fan, you will remember this. Mike Budenholzer, when he was the coach, was also the president of basketball operations, and he was the number one personnel guy during that time after Danny Ferry. Left. And Wes Wilcox was the number two, but he was also the GM. So it's back to that setup. One guy, this time it's Travis Lank is sort of the head honcho on the personnel side, whereas Landry is the number two. But a nice little j- job title bump and pay bump for Landry, I presume. Um, no other real takeaways from there, other than it's obviously good for Landry. But that's uh, sort of some clarification there, and that's going to be coming according to Woj on July one. No announcement from the Hawks. But obviously, they won't do that until it's actually official, which is still a few weeks away at this point in time. Okay, with all that out of the way, we'll have more on the NBA draft coming up as well. As I record this, we're nine or 10 days away, depending on when you listen to it from the NBA draft. We have much more to come on that. Um, workout's still ongoing. Intel starting to ramp up a little bit. On the draft side, trade rumors, all that fun stuff. I had a mailbag that dropped on Friday. I had a NBA draft discussion recently with Ben Pfeiffer, one recently with Jake Rosen. Uh, I've had Ricky O'Donnell on the show for the NBA draft. Glenn and I talking about all kinds of players, mailbags, Andrew Kelly on trade stuff and pretty recently as well. So uh, wall-to-wall in the archives, subscribe, listen, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And without further delay, you'll hear the intro. I'll be back with Glenn Willis on Kevin Herter. You are locked on Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am joined once again by my friend Glenn Willis. Len, as I mentioned before, I brought you in. We are almost to the end of this player capsule series, which I think you regret volunteering for at this moment. We've talked a lot, to you and I, in the last few weeks. I do appreciate it. Uh, Kevin Herter is the topic on today's show. We talked before we started recording. Kevin Herter is still 23 years old. He won't even be 24 until August. Uh, he is almost a year younger than DeAndre Hunter, for reference, despite being uh, a year ahead of him in the draft. Um, and obviously, you know, not a guy who's on a, on a star trajectory, but certainly a player who I once again think played better than people realize this year, as we'll probably get into uh, on this podcast, but an efficient guy, um, in my mind, an underrated defensive player, not a game changer, but certainly not a, a terrible guy like people might think that he that he is. And once again this year, he played a lot of minutes. Um, I know you remember this as well as, well as I do. Uh, there was this label that he was injury prone earlier in his career. Uh, he has now shed that pretty. Substantially, In fact, he was number two on the team this year in minutes in minutes play behind only Trey. And uh, he's been durable the last couple seasons. He's been a guy who, of course, is now locked up long term on a reasonable contract, all that fun stuff. So there's a lot to get into here. But as I have been doing with most of these podcasts, I'll just open it up to you and just ask you uh, where your head's at with Kevin Herter uh, in the middle of his, uh, I guess, year four and year five. Yeah,
1: I, I think he's probably the guy in the team right now that has the weirdest optics uh you know maybe uh, and um you know and i and i feel like because he's supposed to be i guess the secondary creator most of the time like when he's on the court the fact that collectively the hawk secondary creation wasn't good enough this year um a lot of that kind of falls to him despite the fact that as we've talked we talked about with hunter when we read him that he had a rough season no doubt about that um you Cam coming into this season, Cam Reddish, um, you know, nothing. They didn't realize anything this season, obviously, from Cam Reddish. That would have made a difference kind of uh, around creation. But oddly, like Herder is the one that gave you more of what you expected, I think, coming into the season than any of, any of the other wings on offense specifically, right? He had his best shooting season of his career this yep. year. Um, he's still you know, a good ball handler, good creator, good passer, moves the ball well, n- never sticks with him. And he's versatile in what he can do. He's not a a guard that's just going to kind of catch and shoot, although he's excellent in that phase of the game. When he's chased off the three-point line, he has a number of things he can use to attack closeout defenders. He's very good kind of getting downhill towards the rim, not necessarily all the way to the rim frequently enough, and has a good mid-range pull-up game. Um, And so I I thought this was the best season of his career overall, which is hard to say in some ways because he had such a good postseason one season ago, he was so instrumental in that run and he wasn't able to reproduce that for, for sure. Um, and we can maybe talk about why, why that might be the case, um, um, especially on defense. Um, but he was, he was really good. And, 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 um, I feel like, uh, sometimes how good he was gets lost in the general sense of disappointment around the team from this season
0: yeah i think um not to as we you and i try to avoid the uh, uh th- you're not here to talk about contracts that's not what you specialize in glenn but i think it was one of those uh situations kind of like collins and where in which he got he got his contract and there is always the notion when you get paid that at least from some people that they expect you to be a d- different player the next year like you're something going to be 40 percent better because you got paid and it's uh you know he was better i agree this was his best season of his career Offensively, the numbers are very clearly the best of his career um, across the board. Two point shooting, three point shooting um, assists were, I guess, pretty similar. Um, turnovers were either at a career low or something, something approaching a career low rate. Like he was very efficient this year. Um, his shooting profile now is kind of what we thought it was going to be coming out as like a good outcome for him. He shot 39% from free this year on pretty good volume. And that's uh, you know, obviously, he's a guy who can't handle the ball, not going to be a dynamic creator, but certainly someone who's comfortable with the ball in his hands can pass it, do all that, all that fun stuff. And yeah, I, I agree with you in general that um, maybe it was just a function of the team and the, uh, the overall black cloud hanging over the team this year. But I think for the most part, he kind of did what you expect him to do. And I, we'll definitely get into this as well, but I, I continue to think he's a, pretty decent defender in a way that people, especially nationally, I think there there's some one of an acceptance now, maybe for people like us yelling about it for years that he's not so bad locally, but I list people that I think are actually smart. That don't watch the Hawks every day. And it's like, well, her's a bad defender. It's like, well, not really. Like he's, he's got weaknesses for sure. And he's not the, he's not a great defender by any means, but I think it gets a little bit just too casually dismissed as like, you know, that can't work with Trey, he's a bad defender, all that stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. The perception is interesting. And I wonder coming out of that playoffs, as you mentioned it last year, when he had, you know, famously the game seven performance in Philadelphia, but even even beyond that, a few different times he was more of a focal point at times. Did you expect him to like have more of a breakout offensively? Like what, what did you expect coming out of that that maybe didn't happen or
1: did happen? I, not really. I I thought he continued being good at the things he was previously good at with some yeah. improvement, which we've already covered. Um, when I contemplate where might he improve as to take a significant step offensively, the first thing is obviously one of kind of getting better at the rim, being aggressive, attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line every now and then, getting to the free throw line, often enough that Bob Rathbun doesn't make fun of him when he gets to the throw line, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so really it is about dealing with contact, embracing contact, and, and being stronger at the rim. Even though if you if you look at his numbers at the rim, first position, he's a statistic, he's a fine finisher. He's just really careful about when he yeah. get, tries to get there, right? So that's the, that's the big thing. The second thing is getting better at shooting off of uh, off-ball screens, which he's – been pretty terrible at it for a, a guy who's as good of a shooter he is but it's interesting when you think about the players in the league who have become those elite guys you know of course we think about Korver when he was in Atlanta and Redick you know in his prime um, kind of more recently you know Joe Harris if you think about when all of those guys became really elite in that phase it's it takes till they're 26 27 28 and I believe there's a real conditioning and strength aspect to building up to that, to be able to kind of constantly sprint off screens to create those shots for yourselves. Or when you're not getting the ball to keep sprinting off screens, to create opportunity, create gravity and opportunity for others, takes a real commitment to conditioning. And I don't think it's a thing that anyone can do in a season or two. I think it takes probably three or four seasons and and some, you know, physical maturation for a person to learn their body, learn what it takes to build up to that. And so I, I think he replicated um, good play in the areas where he's been good before with some um, nominal improvement this year. And those are the two things. Like if he's going to take a significant step forward, it's going to be his work at the rim and his ability to get his body to the point where maybe he can become a reliable guy coming off of screens when they run floppy or, or, or whatever, whatever it is they run. So that's my assessment of him offensively. I don't know if we'll see improvement in those other areas and we'll just have to kinda of wait wait and see what, what happens there. Today's show is brought to you by Arcade 1UP. We have big news. The one and only
0: NBA Jam is back. Arcade 1UP is the leader in at-home retro arcade games. They're not only bringing the best game ever back, they made it bigger than ever with a, wait for it, a Shaq edition machine. I've been a big MD- NBA Jam guy for a long time. It's just fantastic to hear about this. I'm not the only one that's obsessed with NBA Jam. And I to tell all of our listeners. You can once again play hoops with NBA legends in this arcade classic. Jump clear across the courts have the ball on fire in one of the first sports games ever to feature real and digitized NBA-licensed teams. No fouls, no free throws, and no quarters required. Compete with friends and family across all new Wi-Fi leaderboards, making you more connected than ever. You can pre-order now from arcade1up.com. That's arcade the number one up.com for an estimated early September ship date. Arcade One Up is a place for fun. They have classics like Golden Tea and Mortal Combat, and many others at three ninety nine. Just starting at just three ninety nine. Just check this out today. They're giving away a free NBA Jam shack Edition. To a Locked On listener, if you can enter to win the chance to win this console for yourself, for your man cave, or wherever you want to put it at arcade1up.com slash Locked On. That's Arcade, once again, the number one, up.com slash Locked On. You have until July 8th to enter this NBA Jam Shack Edition Console Contest. Do not miss out. Enter today at arcade1up.com slash Locked On. I want to ask you about you know both, both sides of the floor, as we kind of have been doing on these episodes. And I, I'll set the stage a little bit by just saying like, you know, metrically speaking, he was an above average player this year in all the ones that I trust. You know, basically better than average on offense, average-ish on defense, according to like EPM and Raptor and all those things. He referenced it a few times already, but like his efficiency as a as a shooter, clean the glass has very useful um sort of those like percent the percentile outcomes for position. So like he was a sixty-one percentile uh, points per shot guy for a wing, which is good. 71 71%, percent, 71st percentile in assist rate for a wing. So, like, all this stuff about like he's a good ball mover, good passer, all that stuff. Um, doesn't turn the ball over a lot either. Um, all that stuff. The, the offense is, um, certainly what we're going to probably focus on a lot at the end of the podcast, but I do want to get to his defense just because you're here and this is what we do. So, I said earlier, I think he's underrated defensively and that does not mean that he's an awesome defender i think that he is pretty good positionally uh he does have some weaknesses like his lack of strength does hurt you at times um but i've 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 spoken enough what do you what do you make of his defense because ultimately speaking a lot of the reference points on herder especially when paired with trey which is part of the discussion always for this hawks team because trey's always going to be there um does you know I guess one way to sort of view it is like is it tenable long term as the primary shooting guard next to Trey and also in a vacuum, like how is his defense?
1: yeah, you know this is the one where for I think a lot of the season I had a hard a hard time evaluating what I was seeing and how that um you know was relative to my expectations as such, and for me, so much of that comes to from how good he was defensively and uh, the run up to the Eastern Conference Finals against New York, you know, Philly, yep. and then Milwaukee. I, I recall sharing on Twitter at one point that only three players in that whole postseason had more block shots than Herder did, and there, they were three obvious rim protectors. I think it was Giannis, Embiid, and <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe Brook Lopez. I can't I can't remember, but uh, it certainly Something had to that. do with the, part of that was the number of games. But even if you like ranked. Blocked totals in the postseason, the the twenty twenty one postseason, and y- and you just looked like to get to another guard, you're going down to like the twenty fourth or twenty fifth spot, no matter how many games the guards played.
0: Yeah, I think um, he bought like I think he bought like a like a shot a game, which isn't doesn't doesn't sound, doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're Kevin Herter and you're blocking a shot per game, that's actually yeah. pretty pretty impressive. <laughs> and,
1: he had, and he had a good number of stills, and so you know, um, so the, he did well in the, with what the uh, young people call stocks, you know, and all of that, and but I have to kind of go back and remind myself, right. One of the reasons that the Hawks were able to make that run with the defensive team they had then was who was New York really kind of putting at the point of attack that's going to kill you apart from Derek Rose, um, you know, the three, I think two and a half good games he had, you got to Philly who was going to kill you at the point of attack? Really no one, right? No one. Uh, yeah. There. And then when you got to Milwaukee, it they still worry they about creating turnovers and getting out in transition and stuff like that. Even Middleton and Drew, if you look at those two guys, you know, it's – they're – they have a mix of things they're good at. They're not just going to kind of go straight at the defender in front of them all the time. That's not, that's not what they do. So I have to kind of remind myself that, okay, when we came into this season, I, I probably had expectations that were too high and I think it's important to not just kind of create that as a negative optic around Herder, but to realize, okay, my expectations were too high based upon things that maybe I should have kind of taken into consideration. I still think he's a positive defender. I think he's a better defender than his reputation uh, probably around fans or around the league yeah. uh, might be, is he ever going to be good enough to be kind of a defensive primary? I don't think that's ever going to happen. No. Um, but I think he can switch, o- switch over and guard point guards sometimes and give you uh, apart from the, maybe the best five point guards in the league. Like I, I wouldn't want him chasing jaw for a whole game or someone like that. Right. Um, but he has some versatility because of his size and because of his length um, and he's <laughs> smart And he's kind of on time with most of his actions, helping, tagging, you know, whatever that is and stuff. And so it's, he's very workable. In my mind, he should be very workable in a lineup construct, even around Trey. He's just not going to be the guy that I'm going to put into my starting lineup and say, okay, I'm comfortable with that guy being the best defender in my starting five from a point of attack standpoint. That's not going to quite be good enough. So, That's that's how I see it. Good defender could still get better as he continues to kind of get stronger and learn learns how to manage his body more uh, and things like that. But you know, never going to be an all NBA an all defensive team kind of guy or anything like that. But but reliable, good, solid, with the ability to. I mean, it's funny he does make even like I remember his second season he had a massive block in the one one of the games that they won that year, and so he has a little bit like we talked about a congo he has the tendency at times to make some really timely plays at the end of games and i and i think that that is that that means something you know um too so you know good defender um still needs some you know something a little better in terms of your primary wing defender um and your starting five if you're going to try to do big things yeah you know as well as i do like
0: there were time, you know, they've used Hunter as the as the number one perimeter defender for the most part when he's been available. Um, but they've had to use Herter as the number. I mean, with Hunter, both when Hunter was off the floor when he missed time with injury, or you know when Hunter's got to guard somebody else, like for instance this year, when, especially late in the season when there was uh, when Collins was hurt and Hunter really couldn't guard the guards anymore because he, he was playing the four. They had to put Herter on those guys, and it is. I'm not saying this is the end all be all but it is it is sort of reflective of what the coaching staff thinks that they they kind of have had to put him on on guys like that and they've chosen him over other guys that they could have put on those guys like again Herder's not going to be your shutdown lockdown guy especially against guards though like he's he's pretty respectable he uses his length pretty well um not a great rebounder but it's totally fine one for a shooting guard um his activity is pretty good his position his positional stuff is pretty good in my opinion um again not spectacular it's just one of those things where he looks worse because of who he has to be paired with sometimes but if you look at the metrics again he's basically league average defensively in most of these metrics and that's all you kind of need from him um at the same and also as a team the hawks were essentially exactly the same um defensive rating wise with him on and off the floor this year which isn't like great because they were bad defensively this year but it wasn't like there was a huge split with him on and off in the way that say there is with trey um in fact he had the best on off numbers um in terms of splits of the entire like core guys this year in a lot of ways like the hawks were actually at their worst when he was off the floor which doesn't always say that, that there's a little bit of noise in that always but he's a valuable piece for them he makes a lot of their lineups work. Um, he, he makes a lot life easier on a lot of guys um, next to him. Obviously, Trey is sort of his own category, but you can play a, a DeLon Wright or you can play a more of a non-shooter type next to those guys because Herter is a good ball mover and a good shooter, and obviously you have Trey as well. So it unlocks a lot of things. I do think that it would be nice to have uh, a guy or two that were better than him defensively around him um you know obviously with trey you're kind of hamstrung on some level but if it's not if you're playing him with trey your other guy in the perimeter has to be good i think um to reach what you want to reach and whether that's hunter or somebody else or how you want to put that together or delon or how you want to use that you, you are a little bit limited there i think that's definitely fair to say um uh, this is more of a big picture question but i'll ask it to you anyway do you have any issue let's say with the news that Bogey had another issue with his knee, he's got another procedure. Also, get, getting a little bit older, and of course, they've been starting Herder. Even this season, they started Herder over Bogey once they made that change, and actually, kind of "quote unquote" worked. Do you have any problem with him being the starting shooting guard opening night next season? Because I know there are some Hawks fans that always seem to land on that being an issue for them. It doesn't
1: bother me at all, but does that bother you? It doesn't bother me. I mean, except for the the uh, universal qualifier that. If they have a chance to really upgrade, oh sure, that, right, yeah, right, but but it's not. It, I think, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th- I think he's a competent starting shooting guard. I think I think some of the things he does on offense helps. Um, uh, with Trey, he's a he's a good enough secondary creator. Could he get a little bit more diverse in that area? Sure. Yeah. And on on defense, it really does come down to kind of lineup construction, and, and you and I all get into this to a degree on every one of these capsules. But part of you know how I evaluate how well Herter works on defense is what scheme are you going to run, right? So, like, Hunter is much better than Herter just keeping his ball handler in front of him. And Hunter is actually has his value diminished to a degree when you're switching. Hunter is not as good at switching. He's good at seeing the guy in front of him, working hard over screens, and just kind of staying in that space. And one of the reasons Hunter is better that way is because Hunter is not that good off ball. (laughs) He gets lost. Uh, you know, he loses interest or whatever is going on there. Herter is actually better when when he's in more in a help position. Agreed. Think back to that Philly series. He was chasing Seth over flare screens and other types of off-ball screens, and he's really good at that. He's good at top-locking when that's the kind of the technique that you want, and he's a really good help defender where Hunter isn't. And so even in a way, Hunter and Herter pair well together because if you can get Hunter on ball, put Herder in that help position now collectively those two plus trade is never going to kind of really get you there unless Hunter uh, takes that big step on and defense. that's the and that's the thing at
0: the end of the day that's what makes it so hard and that's not to cut you off but that, that is that is a challenge and again we don't want to do this all the time but it is reflective of you know who your point guard is and he is your best player by far franchise player but it does impact your decision making other places. So to your point, in a vacuum, having those guys pair together, hunt, just say Herder and Hunter in a vacuum, or Herder and somebody else in a vacuum, but those guys in particular do seem to fit well together defensively. But you have to remember who your point guard is, and it does matter on the, on that under the floor. And I'm glad you said that because one of the reasons why Herder I think is underrated defensively is just the the overall reality that most guys who are better off the ball than on the ball on the perimeter are underrated defensively. you know what i mean like people especially people people that are not watching as much as we are not to to judge anybody it is what it is but if you if you watch basketball it is a lot easier to see who loses their guy on the ball who can't contain a ball handler than it is to watch a guy make rotations and know where to be off the ball and you know facilitate things and hand guys on all the things you're gonna do off the ball it's a lot easier to see who like isn't super quick or super physical at the point of attack and gets blown by. That's an easy evaluation for anybody. Whereas if the off-ball stuff is just a lot harder to see. Today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto. in the auto world it has so makes miles models these days. It's actually impossible for local chain stores. to Stock all the car truck parts that you actually need for your automobile of choice. And even if they have them, you actually want to endure the question from behind the counter. They always have an ulterior mode. They want to sell you what they want to sell you behind the counter in the warehouse or wherever, whatever's best for them, basically instead do whatever's best for you. And that usually means honestly, it always means checking out rockauto.com at home or in your pocket. It's a much better option, no matter what you're looking for on the car side. Why spend more for the exact same auto parts from a chain store or dealership, I can order them at rockauto.com today very easily and very profitably for you. Rockauto.com has been in business starting customers for more than 20 years at this point in time, and the prices are reliable low, and they're always the same for each and every customer. They have all of what you need for your car or your truck. That includes, of course, things like brake parts and tail lamps and motor oil and even carpet. And the website is beautiful at rockauto.com see all the parts available for your car, your truck, and see everything else that they have to offer for you in that one spot. And when you get there, right, locked on in the box that asks you how you heard about Rock Auto. So we can, you can tell them that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, right below prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com.
1: And, you know, and to go further around the scheme thing, it's like Herder I think is more valuable when you're switching because he's really well suited for that kind of handing a guy off, picking up another guy. He's a good communicator. He's a good real-time processor. And so that's something else to kind of work out versus the, the Hunter Herder thing. Now I don't, I know we don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole, but they're <laughs> like, if you watch, if you watch Golden State play when they're switching, they will do something like we're switching except Steph. Cause you, we don't want Steph getting switched on. Steph will show hard. You see him jump out and then recover. And yep. the Hawks have tried to do that with Trey. So there's a way if Nate and the coaching staff feels like the roster could handle it to say, well, we're not going to switch with Dre, not because he, you know, we don't want that because we want him to stay on the ball, you know? So it just depends on not only what you want to run, but how um, detailed and nuanced you want to get to kind of make that work. And, you know, and so there, I just think that there's one of the most interesting aspects of this offseason for the Hawks is to see what kind of potential schematic changes they want to make, especially on defense. And a lot of that will come down to who is the center starting center for the next season starts and on and on and on. But a lot of that will play into can Hunter and Herder, if they are the starting two and three, are they in a scheme? Are they in a system? Are they in something that helps maximize their value individually? And then as the two wings collectively, there's a way to set them up where they're really going to struggle to deliver defensive value. There's another way to set them up where they could potentially maximize their defensive value. And so it doesn't just come down to how good are those two guys. And in, the, in this episode where we're focusing on herder. But he needs to be put in the right system and with the right players around him. He needs to be free to help a lot to, um, to be that off ball defender that can make impact plays. He's good jumping passing lanes. He's good anticipator and things like that. But if you're not letting him kind of settle into that role enough, you're going to undermine his defensive value. So a lot, of, a lot of the philosophical and schematic stuff will have an impact in terms of what, how much defensive value he can continue to bring, I think. No, I'm glad you said that.
0: That's, that's that's a good encapsulation, and clearly, this there's always these discussions, and we'll get into all of them as they make roster changes in the next couple of weeks, potentially. But um, you know, trying to focus on just what he can and can't do, and what he's what he excels at, what he what he's sort of weaker at, et cetera, is probably uh, pretty interesting and kind of informative as to what they might be doing in the future. And uh, just team building wise, it's it's uh, it's challenging because I don't think anybody would draw up uh, a Trey herder backcourt. Um, in a lab, defensively, and that's fair to say. It, it just, it just yeah. is. Even if, even if we both think that Herder is respectable to better than that defensively, you know, that's a, it's a very. I don't want to use the word lazy, but one of the things people do nationally, in particular, is like immediately write that pairing off because of the defense. And I, I get that. I do get it broadly because they're not watching Herder every night. And if you just think of him as a bad defender, we know Trey's a bad defender. So it's like putting those guys together is flames. But I'll say this before, I said this on the Bogdanovich podcast, we have two years now of data where the Herter-Bogey wing pairing has worked very well for the Hawks. The numbers are there. And I get that defensively it shouldn't work, with, especially with Trey, Herter, and Bogey. That, that shouldn't work on defense. And it kind of doesn't. But they're also so good on offense that it hasn't mattered. And they've been very good playoffs regular season, et cetera, with those, uh, with those two guys in the wing and also with the three of them on the perimeter. I'm not sure if that's going to continue. We'll see what it, what it looks like if somebody gets moved or whatever, bogey ages out or whatever, but uh, that is worth noting as well. Um, if you have anything else to add defensively, feel free. If not, we can talk about the offense because uh, that's the side of the ball. It's fun too.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, well, and maybe a bit of a transition here, but when you know, you're know you playing Trey, bogey, herder, that's best, your best shot-making shot trio uh, amongst the trio you're going to play there. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, You know, that's your best ball handling. They're not going to turn the ball over. So you're not creating transition offense for the team. You're not um, you're more frequently getting to go back and set your own defense. So a lot of times, you know, a good offensive lineup that you might think would struggle on defense just benefits from putting the ball through the hoop more often and getting to get back and get set. And especially when you have a defense built around Clint's organization and and the structure that that brings, getting to get back and get set brings even more value. And, so, and that's why, you know, two-way play, you know, on the wing is critical, um, you know, for everybody around the league. Um, but when you think about kind of building around Trey, not turning the ball over really matters. Getting back and get set really matters. That, that allows Trey to get messed up on the player you want him messed up on and not scrambling back and, and randomly messing up. So, you know, yeah. it, it is interesting to think about potentially Herder and Bogey. How do you, if Hunter is still a priority, which he should be, you know, if the, if, you know, conceptually they bring the same roster back, but when they made that run to the Eastern Conference Final, they did it. We and I talked about this with Trey Herder Bogey giving getting a lot of minutes at the one, two, and three, and were quite successful. And and it's that's interesting to think about. Bogey's a good help defender too, and there's a lot of reasons that that works. Um, yeah. But Herder, Herder, I mean, I, on both ends, Herder is steady he gives you what you expect he's reliable Uh, even if you get frustrated in a few areas of play for him and there's a lot to be said about a player that gives you consistently what it is you expect from him because that gives you something to work with uh, around something someone not being kind of up and down all the time and that says a lot for a guy who's who just finishes h23 season right
0: yeah, I have one uh, one note to add to that. I I just pulled the number because I don't have it in front of me. Uh, this is just this season, but the three of them, the Herder, Trey, Bogey lineup, they were plus six point eight for our possessions. That's really good, man. Like yep, especially, really good. it's not a superstar. It's, it's, I mean, no no lineup data is ever going to be a giant sample size, but that's a it's a decent. It's one of their top, I don't know, ten or twelve most frequently used three man groups this year, and they were really good with that group. So I don't know and if that is sustainable, of, but
1: yeah. And the, but it didn't start this year, right? That's the. Oh, you know, two year sample. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, the, year yeah, be- right. the, year, the year before was very similar, uh, and of course they had to ride. And like you said, they had to ride that in the uh, in the fi- in the uh, conference finals round. I'm trying to pull the number right now as we're talking. So I'm gonna see if I can pull this off while we're. Yeah. Oh, even better the year before. Uh, they were plus nine point nine per 100 two years ago, and that's just regular season sample. It was probably even better than playoffs. So yeah, sure. it's not a it's not a uh, not a fluke. I don't think. Uh, obviously, again. No one was, no one between Glenn and I is telling you that's a good defensive trio because it's not, but right. they're really good on offense. And sometimes you have to trade it off, trade it off, and see what happens. Um, yeah. And,
1: the, and there's just quickly there's something yeah. instructive there about putting players around Trey that bring consistency because Trey wants to deliver the ball to a guy who's going to be where he's supposed to be, do what he's supposed to do, knock those shots down. And, uh, you know, and we could, you know, a person could have a conversation about, like, is that the best way to build a team? And you want you know trade with the in You know, that's what they are. That's what they're building for. And, you know, Hunter being at this point kind of up and down all over the place and good and good mouth, bad mouth, whatever. I mean, that's that, you know, we're still optimistic about him. But Bogey, we talked about when we did his, he gives you what you expect consistently. Herder's that guy now, too. And I think that that has a lot to do with maximizing around trade as well on offense, which we were heading back to.
0: Yeah, so offensively, I mean, just for the rundown, broadly speaking, people already know this, most of this stuff, but uh, Herder is reliant on a three-point shooting in a lot of ways. He took more threes than twos this season. That's probably the right thing for him to do, to be honest, because he's a really good three-point shooter. Um, but he had a career-best 39% clip on uh, pretty decent volume. I always think he should shoot more from three uh, just because of how good he is at it, and uh, he got he's gotten a little bit more a little bit more aggressive in the last you know season plus but I could think there's probably more room to grow there still. Uh, two-point shooting was better than ever this year. But as you referenced before, his rim stuff is never going to be great. And uh, I've kind of waved the white flag on him getting to the line. I just think it's, like, never going to happen probably. Um, it's, been, it's been sort of a running joke, and I think it would help him, but it's probably not going to happen. But uh, to your point earlier is he is careful, but in a way that does work because when he gets there and tries to shoot, he does make it. He's not going to take right. any ambitious attempts but that's maybe better than taking attempts you shouldn't take and missing them. So there's a crossover there. Um, and then passing wise, like totally good. Uh, I would say above average passer for a shooting guard um, at minimum. So like, that's kind of the, that's kind of the overall spectrum. We referenced it earlier, but like he is, if you have to pick a guy to quote unquote, run, run a secondary action of the main cast, it has been herder. Most of the time, you know, bogey has the ball in his hands. He's going to try to shoot it. Bogey is a, Score first guy in this current iteration, whereas Herder is the closest thing they have to a secondary facilitator other than Trey. In my mind, you can weigh in if you would like to on that. But that's kind of the role he's been in. Low turnover guys we talked about earlier as well. Um, not a huge usage rate though. Same, like three years in a row, like a seventy percent usage rate, which is not super low, but not super high. He's not a specialist. Like, of course, he got he got the Kyle Korver comparison coming out of college. I wonder why that would be, Glenn. What do you what do you, why do you think that would be? Um But. <laughs> uh beyond that uh he is a really good he's a really good shooter but he isn't a specialist I want to draw the line like he that's his best trade offensively he's a really really good shooter there's a lot of value in that but he's not Duncan Robinson he's not he's not even Joe Harris like he he does more than those guys do offensively in terms of like being well-rounded but at the end of the day that is probably still going to be his calling card until it's not um what else should we talk about offensively but
1: yeah well I mean You know, it's funny when you go look at his pick and roll numbers, he, you know, he he measures out pretty average if you go by the percentile, you know, um, you know, it's interesting to think about kind of why that is. Um, He doesn't shoot the ball great. uh, If you look at uh, kind of the numbers there, in the 2021 season, he was a little better. His effective kind of field goal percentage was uh, okay. But like this year, his effectiveness in pick and roll statistically went down and we've talked about this in no the end too, but a lot of that comes to, comes to the fact that the Hawks were encountering a lot more switching in the pick yeah. and rolls, which which really means what might've been tagged as a pick and roll in the data set ended up being kind of a one-on-one attack or a one-on-one, a probe with things like that. And Herter's, you know, not, um, he's average at best probably in that, that area. He's, he's good kind of getting to the step back in the mid range a little bit. Strangely, he's really good, Working right into the mid range and kind of getting to a step back when he works kind of with the left hand, he's not uh, quite as quite as good there. That's something that could come along. Age 24, age 25 is really working on going dribbling with the left hand and getting down in the mid range and having something to step back to. Um, and so there, there's some you know there's some things there, but I mean I think the secure ball handling is really valuable in the NBA. I think that's undervalued. Um, I think he makes good decisions. He's not overly ambitious as a passer. He measures passes as well um, and things like that. And I think, you know, maybe the last thing there is just the ball just doesn't stick, you know. Yeah, um, yeah I think you want him to be a little bit more aggressive, I, I think, at times, especially in late shot clock uh, situations. Um, but, you know, I, someone that has a usage kind of where he is, it's hard to build up the number of reps. And that's another kind of philosophical thing around, you know, how much do you let Trey just own the offense all the time versus maybe getting Trey off ball and giving some other guys an opportunity to kind of develop some reps. That's a hard thing to do. You know, the hard decision to make in a close game. You're like, well, we got to ride Trey, you know, and then when you're two seasons in a row started uh, underwater with your record, it's hard to feel like you have any kind of uh, space to work with to maybe kind of mix it up we have to optimize all the time because we're kind of, you know, rising in the standings. Um, so I feel, I, I do wish he could get a little bit more usage. Uh, yeah. And I wish that that, I think that might result in a little bit more confidence and aggressiveness. Um, this year he looked um, like maybe the most frustrated guy on the floor. I don't want to always read it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, but that might come down to the fact that like, uh, you know, I could imagine this is me speaking of, like, you know, for what might be going on there is like, he, he may be frustrated, like, oh, I'll go long stretches where you don't need anything from me. And then all of a sudden three possessions in a row, the ball will find me and I don't have any, rhythm. you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's hard. I mean, we'll, we'll kind of use historical examples. It's hard to play with LeBron, you know, cause you get what you get, you know? Well, yeah, it's it's the life of a fourth or
0: fifth option in the NBA. It's right. just kind of what it is like, and to his credit, he's been able to be, efficient sure. with that role but sure. it, it is a certain type of thing to know that you're not going to have stuff run for you very often it's just kind of the right. reality situation um and I think he does well with it and honestly this is this is secondary but like if you ever listen to Kevin Hurt, I mean I, I know most people like fans can't just talk to him like I can to be fair but like just listen to stuff he's this is a guy who understands he's not he doesn't he knows who he is that's a big thing he he does not like have any crazy expectations of what what he's going to be or how much how many shots he needs to get and all this stuff he knows what he is and uh that's useful i mean especially for a guy who's still young yeah he got paid but he's not making crazy money he's making it's a very appropriate contract um i think he might even be underpaid on what he's making so um anyway that's a that's a sort of a non sequitur but i think it if you watch him like he he understands what he's supposed to do um oh one thing i want to mention before i forget the last two seasons he's a 90th percentile mid-range shooter according to cleaning the glass and that's anything from four feet to three to three point line so that's that's a it's a long basically anything that's not a rim attempt inside the arc he's 90th percentile now the volume's not huge that's the thing about herder is again like we said before he's not taking a ton of those shots but he's a good floater guy he's a good pull-up 18 footer guy and like him bogey and trey you don't find many better like pull-up mid-range shooters than those guys i mean obviously other than like kd and like Kyrie and that's kind of stuff but like non-stars Herder and Bogey are both awesome at that. And that's an underplayed thing because it's not the most efficient shot in the world, but if you can shoot 40, like this year, he shot 49% on non-paint twos. That's a really good number, like really good number. It's very valuable, especially late in the shot clock. You mentioned that earlier. If you get get stuck, he can get a shot off. Uh, It's not always going to be the most aggressive shots always from him, but he's not someone that has to have everything created for him. Like he's a good catch and shoot guy. But again, going back to him not being Duncan Robinson, like Herder can get his shot off by himself. He can do that. He's proven that. That's why he was a top twenty pick. If he had just been a specialist, he wouldn't have gone in the top twenty. And they knew that. So uh, there's there's a there's a lot there. He's again, he's not going to be a twenty point scorer, but he can he can get out there if they if they give him more usage, he probably could, I don't know, he could average sixty points a game, something like that. I, mean, I think it's like more like twelve or thirteen now. But you know, he's efficient and effective. I, I don't, I'm probably repeating myself, but it is what it is.
1: Yeah, um, I mean. And that, and that's the, his mid-range success is probably part of his calculation of why he doesn't go to the rim more often. He, he probably thinks like, "Well, I'm, I have a better shot at producing <laughs> points here from ten feet or whatever, you know, and I'm feeling comfortable there." You know, so I mean, he, it, he was better this year this. at the
0: rim, also. By the way, it was like a few percentage points more, but he was like league average among wings at the rim this year, which you'll yeah. take from Kevin Her. Like yeah. the volume again, the, vo- the volume is below league average. I don't want to make, I don't want to say anything else beside that, but he's improved there too. I mean, I'm looking at his clean last page everything basically across the board has improved for him almost year over year. It's not quite that linear, but it's close. Like he continues to get better in every season and that's how it's supposed to work. It's not always linear, but for a guy who's 23, those incremental improvements do really help you, especially when you're getting into the point where now he's actually making real money and they're going to have to play him or trade him or whatever they're going to do with him. Uh, It it helps to get better every year and know that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I think, where I would like to see the aggressiveness is is when they're facing a lot of switches and Trey draws the big out, the ball rotates. I like to see him kind of pounce when the rim tuckers pulled away from there, you know, from there. And, and he has the length and the athleticism I think to to be good putting pressure on the defense that way. So I think that a little at times he's a little bit too selective and and, and could be more aggressive. That could just be a growth and maturation thing all the switching the Hawks saw this year and the reduced amount of drop covers they saw from opposing teams was a brand new thing this year for all of them. And at times they struggled with that, not just him. So, I mean, but we're talking about some secondary areas where he could, you know, kind of improve. um, The nice thing is that we talk about that while he is giving you all the reliable stuff that you expect him to bring. That's, that's what's so valuable. It's, I think it's easy to go, Hey, three point shooter, secondary creator, secure ball handler, you know, help move the ball, et cetera, et cetera. Great to add more. It's, you know, attacking the rim when the rim protector is pulled out of the paint is being more decisive, more aggressive situationally uh, and those sorts of things. And I think that that makes that a realistic area to potentially to kind of, kind of, see that improvement. And, and, and that can go a long ways. I mean, another part comes back to, you know, are, are we going to see any philosophical change on offense next season? You know, he, yeah. You know, he, when they run floppy, it's mostly for bogey. Um, and bogey's by far the best at, at taking advantage of that. Critters that we talked about earlier are not great shooting off of off ball screens and things like that. But they don't even work like flare screens for him. They don't run the the exit action where he gets a kind of a screen from a big man on the weak baseline. They don't run that for him as much as they used to. So they've they I thought they got. Um, less diverse offensively this year, and I thought that I think that maybe that kind of eroded some opportunity for him to kind of do some things where his strengths show up more. And we'll see, you know, if that team is kind of going into. But and I'm always going to think about okay, not just the player, but like we talked about on defense, the things that you do on defense is going to set him up, deliver more value, less value depending upon how that aligns with the strengths. Same can be true on offense. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to think about. If the Hawks are trying to construct, you know, a, themselves to be a true contender, where does Kevin feel that it fit into kind of that model, right? Yep. I, I think when you look at that, you know, if he were the first guy off the bench on a on the next really good Hawks team, yeah. that wouldn't be heartbreaking, right? Yeah, that honestly that, that might be
0: and this is not a original thought for us, I don't think it's like that that might be his best role on it, especially right. on a team with Trey. And again, I don't think that fit is as bad as people some people do. But I think ultimately, realistically, it might fit better to have Herder as your third guy in the backcourt than your starting shooting guard on a title contending team with Trey Young, just because you probably want a better, a little bit better, more athletic defender next to him. It's just kind of what you might need to have. But that isn't to say they can't do. I mean, they obviously just made the college finals with Kevin Herder as a 35 a game, 35 right. minute a game starter that happened. So um, the ceiling is a little bit lower with that. But, uh, yeah, it's I, I find it fascinating. Honestly, I mean, he's not as famous or as prominent as a guy like Collins or a guy like Capella even to where the attention is not paid for that. But, like, I I really am fascinated as to, like, what they what they see from Herder. I mean, and Bogey, too. We talked about Bogey on the same podcast with Bogey. But, like, the two of them are both interesting guys. And they have some decisions to make. I mean, no one should be surprised if Kevin Herder is traded in the next year. That wouldn't stun me at all. It just wouldn't. Right. Cause everybody's available. It is what it is. But like taking a step beyond that. What is the role that they think he should be in? Like right now he kind of has to be in the role he's in. Um, it worked very well. Um, there's reasons to want to stagger Trey and bogey because of the way that bogey hunts his shot in the way that nobody else does other than Trey on the, on the roster. So I think if you just tell me that you're bringing everybody back on the perimeter, I would start herder and bring bogey off the bench. I think those guys fit well best in those roles with who they have on the roster right now. But you and I both probably agree. I think you can correct me, but this is not a championship level perimeter rotation right now in my mind. Obviously Trey is Trey, leave him on the, on the other side. But like, I think realistically they're not going to win the title
1: with this, with, with, with these perimeter guys. So like, what's the next step? I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> right, and and that's that's the, the kind of the puzzle that Travis Shlank is having to kind of work on right now is like, where is the upgrade that kind of gets us up a, another tier in the league? What does that look like? You know, um, you know, and and like I said, if if there's an opportunity to go get a, a like an All Star level two or a guy they think is on his way to being an All Star level performer at the two, I, I I don't think it kills you to bring him out the bench, and especially if we think about the possibility that Gallo's not back, they're gonna to need to find a way to get more offense on the second unit. And then yep. they're gonna need more of her creation with the bench. Like if the Gallo's not there to help kind of you know with that creation. And so it, it's gonna really come down to you know what is what is their nine man or ten man rotation look like first unit, second unit. What is that, you know, do they have enough offense on both kind of lines, you know, both lineups, you know, and all that stuff, if you will. And the nice thing about Herder is that if the right thing to do is to plug him in as a starting two, I think you're going to get a reliable um, type of uh, contribution from him. If it just so uh, happens that you're able to kind of upgrade at the wing to the point that he slides to the second unit, totally functional, and it's not, and then, like, it's not a guy that you're embarrassed to play as your first guy off the bench at all. Um, and so I think that that's, that's a, a nice um, kind of commodity to have for them right now. And and sort of like we talked about with Clint in the last episode, he's helpful if he's on your team. He's helpful if you need to make a move because there's going to be a market for him. There aren't a lot of guys his size who have the kind of offensive skill set that he has and the ability to make some impact on defense.
0: Yeah, one of the brighter spots, not to go crazy about this now, but one of the broader things about this this core, the extended core as it is right now, is that they have no bad contracts. I mean, every single one of their guys, whether you like them or not, whether you are a fan of those players or not, from herder to bogey to collins to capella those guys are all on good contracts or at least pretty good very movable contracts so like that is a positive to be able to to pivot if they want to And it seems like like they kind of do want to pivot on some level right all those guys have positive trade value in my mind every single one of them maybe if bogey's knee is just like cooked that'd be the only reason why he wouldn't have it but everybody else seems to have positive value in my mind as a trade as a trade asset so yeah that's it makes it interesting um you know to put a fine point on, on him individually before we get out of here. I think what you said earlier is perfect In that he's a perfectly solid starting shooting guard in the NBA. Like, and I think he's got room to keep improving. I think it's um if you're an awesome team, maybe you want him as, as a sixth man or seventh man, but he's a perfectly fine starter. He just is. And I think taking a step back to where, where he was drafted, what you're paying him, everything's gone well with Kevin Herder so far. It's he's not, it's not an a plus, it's not a grand slam, but like it's, Strongly above average from draft pick to development to contract extension, it's it's all in a very it's all a very good place in my mind for Kevin Herder.
1: Yeah, any, any if you told any team that this is what you get from the 19th pick, they'd take it in a heartbeat. Great outcome. I mean, I, I, the Hawks are the Hawks are two of
0: two with number 19 overall. Uh, obviously, Indeed. Collins is, Collins is an even bigger home run. Um, you know, maybe you say Herder is a double, but regardless, like that's a very 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 good outcome collins is a great outcome like capital g great outcome at number 19 overall but hers a really good one as well and i'll say this sending about this about this year's draft 16's higher than 19 but last year was 20 with jalen johnson if you get a top seven rotation guy at that spot you have succeeded with that pick. Agreed. And Her, Her, Her I agree definitely definitely and hers definitely that even if you don't like him i get that there are people that are a little bit lower on him i hope we can agree that he's at least a rotation player because he obviously is very obviously so agreed there you go well glenn Please add any final thoughts if you have them. If not, we're gonna go watch the finals because it's Monday night.
1: <laughs> Let's go watch the finals. I, you know, uh, Herder is so predictable that is it's, it's, if, if you're trying to go too long, you'll find yourself trying to find the fourth way to say the same thing you already said. So yes. you know, I think like I think we can leave it there.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, thank you, sir, for joining me. Uh, people should be following Glenn everywhere. But uh, one more time, in case people are just finding the podcast now, or if you have Kevin, a big, uh, big Maryland supporters that are just kind of listeners, Glenn, where, where can they find your work?
1: Uh, at Willis underscore Glenn on Twitter, you'll find my kind of commentary on all things Hawks and the broader NBA. P3 Hoops is uh, my writing outlet. Um, right now, we're uh, draft coverage. So my Jalen Williams profile came out the morning we recorded this um one of the players i'm most excited about the possibility of being there 16 for the Hawks, so i put a lot into that one uh and then atl 29 podcast with our good friend kevin um we're (laughs) we're about once a week uh here uh right now as we get closer to the draft and the moratorium will certainly kind of kind of pick up hi
0: kevin um as everybody else thank you for listening to the podcast everybody we have one more of these I candidly will not guarantee when that's coming. We'll talk about Trey Young at some point, but he is the only guy on the roster that we knew wouldn't be traded. So we saved him for the end. And Trey might, honestly, the Glenn, that Glenn, might, that might be in mid July at this point. I have no idea when we're going to talk about Trey Young, but that's going to happen at some point when Glenn has free time and I have free time. We'll, we'll make that happen. But uh, in advance, I thank you for all the other content we've done in the, uh, in the last couple of weeks.
1: Uh, my, my, really- my pleasure yeah my pleasure it feels like the hawks will decide when we do trade right <laughs> yeah maybe i mean I, I was thinking i was trying to play some
0: stuff i was like you know what they might make a trade tomorrow i have no idea what's going on so uh just keep that in mind folks we have one more coming with glenn and i but uh, in the meantime check out glenn stuff check out Street hoops check out this podcast atl on 29 subscribe rate review all that fun stuff we'll see you next time